0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Unsourced Wall. As always, I am Ellis and I am your host. Now, I have no idea how long this is going to be because on one hand we have a lot of news, but on the other hand there's not a lot that came out that I actually care about. We'll see how it goes, but first and foremost let's start off with probably one of the biggest news pieces to come out this week, and that was of course James Gunn getting fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now this is a particular topic that has a lot of science to it and some I agree with and some I completely and utterly disagree with but I have to concede some things as well. Let's get to the actual finite point of it which is that James Gunn had almost a decade ago made a lot of really crass and insanely offensive jokes. Now that's the bare bones it. he made really really disgusting jokes that covered i don't want to repeat it, the actual topics let alone recite any of the actual tweets as well but they were just awful and abominable jokes even but the thing is and this is what i don't understand james gunn he cut his teeth he got his start with troma studios and i know someone who has friends who worked as interns at Trauma, and they're saying like this isn't the culture that they cultivate there my friends they say that this isn't something that goes on on a daily basis inside the actual studio but the thing is that james gunn he has more than any other person i've seen work for them really tried to put himself as part of the brand Trauma. if if you don't remember back in the early episodes where I had mentioned them when one of the Tox Avenger actors had died and they went over a bit of the Tox Avenger comic book that Marvel put out, was that it is pretty well known and it's probably the most infamous American B-movie studio for putting out a lot of content and movies that broach insanely disgusting taboo subjects and content. So what you end up is that you have this filmmaker who got a start there and whose brother got their start there as well who cultivated pretty much just this personality type that was so infused with the company that he even co-wrote the autobiography, but most sources I know of state that he ghost wrote the entire thing, of the company's co-founder, Lloyd Kaufman, which then inspired one of Troma's most insanely crass movies, Terra Firma, which I don't recommend unless you are totally into this disgusting and awful stuff. Which, if you are then, yeah, go fucking watch it. It's insanity on screen. It's, it's non-stop. But that's the thing. Without that kind of context, it seems like the raving is a madman. But this is a guy who was really trying to, wearing that patch on his sleeve. And he is definitely one of the most recognizable modern figures in the studio's history. Honestly, I'm not surprised and I don't think that Disney was not in its rights to fire James Gunn. But the twist is that I don't think that they should have hired him in the first place if they were going to state what they did. And what Disney states is that James Gunn's tweets are completely at odds with Disney's morals and point of view and all that crap. The thing is, right, that's what he's most known for. These tweets existed before you hired him and his filmography before you hired him. It's not like something that he was hiding. It's not something that you could have overlooked. Disney is a huge conglomerate and at the point where they hired him, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is already in full sway, was already a huge powerhouse juggernaut. So you hiring him and then years later, decade later, acting like somehow you're naive and innocent and you're ignorant is the rub. If you couldn't handle it, never hire him in the first place. But you rode the back of his success. You rode the back of his notoriety. Because let's be honest, they only hired James Gunn so they could say, the guy who did Slither and Super is directing a Marvel movie. Just to get that, ooh, I want to see how that turns out. That guy is crazy. I want to see what kind of crazy Marvel movie he comes out with. That's the only reason they hired him. They hired him because of that whole personality wavelength they were trying to tap into, that whole demographic. And now that's become inconvenient, they just kind of snub him loose and then they try to act like they never knew. To the point where a lot of people who I've seen comment on this, they don't even know <laughs> James Gunn's own backstory. They act like or they believe that James Gunn suddenly just popped into existence with the Scooby-Doo movie. It's ridiculous. And it's it's honestly very disingenuous on multiple fronts. Not the least of which is where all these complaints came from and stand from. But I won't get into that because it's mainly Disney's response to it and a lot of other responses to it I've seen from just the casual public. But without really understanding that that's where he comes from, that's just really trying to sell the brand. But it's also not something that he's ashamed of either. Even stuff like Slither and stuff like Super are a far cry from his trauma work. His response was pretty admirable where he goes, yes this was a part of my life but this is something that I've grown past as a filmmaker. Which is all fine and good. But he still respects it. He still had Lloyd Kaufman even, the co-founder I mentioned, make a cameo in the first Guardians movie. Overall I think it's just the most incredibly mind-boggling experience just seeing all these takes on it and a lot of them just missing all the actual key points of information and just making snap judgments. One of the most really aggravating ones was that anyone who makes these jokes like that cannot be a good person. And I'm thinking, like, does that mean that I'm a whole person for loving these, or at least loving a few of these insanely disgusting B-movies? Because that's what they know they are. They know and they revel in being just the raunchiest and most incredibly unbelievable B-movies around and that's something that they really wear as a, as a sign of pride. They even have their wonder taglines for their studio is radicalizing entertainment, which is honestly a pretty apt description because it is insanely radical in all senses of the word. James Gunn should never been hired because if Disney was so really adamant about what they said in their statement, then why hire him in the first place? And that's all I can say. I'm not going to be stating that he should be rehired just because I want to see a third one. He can work under another director, can work with different writing, as long as it's good. If anything is disgusting it's on disney's part for how they acted and what they said in their statement let's move on into some lighter news because sdcc came out with a huge amount of trailers and let's go into them first of all let's start off with shazam from david f sandberg starring zachary levy overall i like the trailer but it does miss the crucial thing that i really want to see in a trailer and I'm not going to be too hard on it because it's a teaser, so obviously just going to be a small smattering of things, things that they have done. Although there is one thing that I know they've already completed and has been shown in other territories that I am astounded they didn't put into this one because it's a crucial element. It is actually a nice mix of Curse and other forms of the character. Although there's two things that stand out to me. One is that while it's inspired by Curse Shazam, takes place on probably one night while well, this one implies that it can be taking place over several consecutive days which I think loses that momentum. Also you have Jimon Hunsu portraying the wizard and it's not the aboriginal design that they did for Zam. it's more of a generic design and it just looks weird. It looks like a really weird mishmash. It doesn't really congeal because it's not the real sort of Merlin-esque original design, but it's also not the aboriginal design. It's, just, it's not very evocative in either sense. You could go either way, but this one just looks like a weird midpoint. Hopefully we'll get better looks at it and see really what is what. And thirdly, it just seems like it rips off a piece from Superior, which was Mark Millar and Lionel Yu's take on Captain Marvel slash Superman. And there's a sequence there where the Billy Batson analog tests out his powers and it's pretty much like all that stuff that you see in the trailer. I've seen it before because I have seen it before. And just I know that there's cross pollination going on with just the general idea of taking a buddy movie like big and inserting superheroes into it. And that like I mentioned before, there's something missing is that there's no real tension or actual stakes which i wouldn't mind in a teaser because yeah like i said you're just going over the general tone and it sells the tone perfectly but then you have this small little moment with savannah and it just comes off very limp now something that really interested me was that there was this other convention that they showed different footage at a while back it was another language i want to say russia and in that footage there was this moment where billy is on the ground and he's struggling and he yells out Shazam. And I wonder why didn't he put it into this trailer? Because it exists. It's out there. And despite being cam footage, it looked really good. And it really does tell like, yes, there's some actual danger and stakes and tension and all that great shit. Now, I don't want to say like, yes, there needs to be some dark elements to this story, but it's just a little actual sort of something to get you invested in him being okay and him getting out of this scot free I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind that at all. But overall, it's an okay trailer. Aquaman, though, looks like a complete piece of shit for multiple reasons. Visually, it's stunning. They put all this work into the visual effects. I know that a lot of people were always wondering why there hadn't been a trailer James Wan will always go, yeah we're working on it and those claims are completely founded here. Of course they're working on it. Every single part of them working on it is directly on screen right now. Jason Momoa's acting though and Amber Heard is just complete crap. Holy crap they're all so bad. I don't understand and I don't even want to be in a theater for an hour and a half to two hours listening to this shit because he's not going to be able to carry this movie and neither is Amber Heard because they're both either monotone or really really forced. Black Manta looks cool though. Ocean Master looks cool despite him being a very flat villain so far. Drone of Atlantis and New 52 version of Ocean Master was incredibly interesting but they seem to be going straight into some really boring elements of him that have been seen again and again and without the natural twist of them actually feeling like brothers or being brothers kind of like a Prince of Egypt kind of way. It loses out immensely so it looks like a real slog of a movie despite all this work and money being put into it which is a shame. If I'm wrong then hopefully it'll turn out to be great but right now it looks like something that I wouldn't even watch on a camera. Anyway, our last trailer was for Glass the M. Night Shyamalan movie which is the third part of the Unbreakable trilogy as I mentioned before and as a first trailer it has its good points and its wonky points. The wonky stuff, I think, is something that carries over from pretty much any M. Night movie, even the good ones, which is the dialogue, is sometimes pretty off, where you don't really believe it, which is a shame because this trailer is front-loaded with it. That whole monologue from the psychiatrist, it feels a bit too blunt, put it that way. The rest of it looks pretty damn great, and M. Night is the only filmmaker that I believe when they say, hey, I had this idea years ago, but I couldn't do it, so I'm doing it now. Because 99% of the time, whenever someone says that they're just full of bullshit, but M. Night, I think, has really been playing the long game, even if he didn't expect it to be this long. He had it in mind even for the Devil Trilogy that never completed because he wasn't able to do it for Unbreakable. The main thing I point to for this is that he's kept the whole color theory and the comic archetypes from Unbreakable consistent. Right? One of the big visual elements of Unbreakable was this comic book, Active Comics Limited Edition, Battle of Jaguaro. And he mentioned that Kevin's character was originally meant to be the faux villain of that movie who got replaced with the Orange Man, a normal home invader. And yet, when you get to Split and you realize that Kevin's been inspired with all the abilities of the zoo, then the whole Jaguaro thing makes complete sense. And then you get to the trailer of Glass and you see Bruce Willis's character fighting with James McAvoy's character. And then you look back at that cover, it's the exact same. And it's that real attention to the developments that makes me think that despite the almost two decades between Unbreakable and Split, and the relative amount of short time between Split and Glass, that if Glass thinks it's landing, then it'll feel like a consistent trilogy no matter what. Hell, it might be the most consistent superhero trilogy ever made. Yeah, I think M. Like could have something really special on his hands if he is able to pull it off. And I hope he's able to reach a great midpoint between Unbreakable's way of doing things and splits. Really pinpoint all this stuff because you have a small little scene in the trailer. And it could be one of the best scenes in the movie if it's played off well you have a character who I believe it's David Dunn's son in a comic book store. And he walks sort of signed as his heroes and he walks sort of as his villains. And I don't know, there's something oddly beautiful about how it's lit and how it's framed that there could be something really sublime about it. It's depicted in a way that has some actual heart and thought behind it, which Unbreakable has spades of. So fingers crossed that that turns out to be good. Now into more general movie news, we have really dire news about the Fox X-Men series. There are rumors that X-Men Dark Phoenix and the New Mutants are going to be scrapped and shelved despite both of those movies being done. Now, of course, this is all very take with a grain of salt, but I can see it happening because the New Mutants was already pushed back so much after its original release timeframe that I can honestly believe that they're going to shelve it. Why would they start a franchise went on the cusp of a merger with a company that is probably going to reboot everything except for Deadpool so they can milk that one out for a fine little trilogy? But X-Men Dark Phoenix, it's already gotten all this media promotion. We have Entertainment Weekly covers. We have reveal photos for the cast. It's probably not going to be shelved. But I wouldn't mind that being shelved because Apocalypse, I loved it. I think it's a great note to end on. But New Mutants, I would really want to see that. A lobby board is stating that the trailer was too boring. I thought the trailer was fine. It was a teaser. Then you hear all this production trouble and well maybe. Maybe they decided that wasn't worth it. It would be a shame for New Midlands. I really want to see that warlock let's be honest and anything that pushes back whenever Disney's gonna do their bullshit with the X-Men is all fine by me. Moving on into our last bit of movie news we have the first look at the Reign of Superman direct-to-video movie from DC Animation which is the second part to the death of returns from an adaptation that they're doing the first part came out or at least was leaked a couple months ago and I watched it and it was pretty good it wasn't a great adaptation but it did all the stuff it needs to do thematically and character wise so two thumbs up and this one looks like it's gonna be even better you know why because for the first time in years we finally get the metropolis kid back even though the first movie had him in his new 52 red line tron outfit the first trailer for the reigning superman shows him in his full metropolis kid 90s leather jacket wearing glory and it is brilliant there are two distinct views of him. We have one where he's in the middle of the street, raising his arms out in victory as confetti rains around him, and another where he's in a suit, being mobbed by all these girls, and one of them is crying in joy from being so close to him. And it's, yes, this is exactly what I want to see. If we can't get Connell back in the comics, then at least we'll have something that really understands what the hell he's all about. And that's fantastic. My only other hopes are that the other replacement serum men do get their time to shine. Because as I said when I talk about this series, you have moments for the Eradicator and for Steel that are so core to why they're so cool and why they're so memorable. Like Eradicator's last stand above Coast City. I have all the optimism for this. Most of all, I really hope we see Bibil Babowski stood up. If anything, it's just nice to have something to look forward to movie-wise, even when you're just sort of tepid on a lot of other things. In our last bit of entertainment news, we have confirmation that finally Lock and Key is getting its own TV series on Netflix after being shopped around for network television, then Hulu, and now finally after two different pilots and they're making another pilot for Netflix, But it's just nice that each different attempt at this is going to be its own fresh thing. I know that there were screenshots of the first pilot, which I think was for NBC, that looked really good but the pilot never leaked. So we'll never see it but I think that first attempt had the best cast. Lock and Key by Gabriel Rodriguez and Joe Hill is... Probably one of my favorite Stephen King-esque series in a long time, which isn't a coincidence because as is well known now, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son, and he definitely tries to emulate his father in his writing style with his novels and in this comic. He's definitely mining from a well that he knows is very popular. Lock and Key, though, I think will make a great series because like the Invincible cartoon when that was announced, it has all the elements necessary for something that can be mined multiple seasons from where you don't have to elongate anything or you have to add in all these unnecessary crap. It's definitely set up where you can just expand and not just substitute in things that were never there. One of the best examples of this is that even though I love this series it really does skip over a lot of necessary plot elements that it just assumes we'll understand even though in essence it comes out of nowhere. That being this implied relationship between two side characters who barely kind of spoke to each other romantically and yet at the end they're vaunted as some sort of really romantic and very inspiring couple and we've never seen any of that develop. It just happens out of nowhere and I place that on an issue which covers an entire span of time between arcs that is told really well it tells the tale of this time skip in an incredibly interesting way but you didn't need to happen it just felt like they're doing it to just rush ahead of things so as a tv show they don't really have to rush they don't really have to skip over anything they could just show all the events of that time skip and hopefully develop some of the stuff like i said that came out of nowhere that didn't have the impact that i think hale wanted I'm excited for it. It's a great concept. It was a great series. Even though it fumbled some things, it was definitely a well worthwhile read. Hopefully it all turns out good and that Hill doesn't share his father's unfortunate luck in adaptations. For the last bit of news, I just wanted to get into some of Tom King's thoughts and comments about his upcoming Heroes in Crisis and a lot of the other things that he's been involved in now he's won an Eisner award for best writer for a couple of things some things that I think he deserves it for and then Mr. Miracle which you already know I think is complete hogwash same thing with Mr. Rod's hogwash but Heroes in Crisis I think deserves a little bit more of attention because we hear more details about it stuff like it's a mass shooting and that Harley Quinn and Booster Girl are the main heroes because Harley Quinn is Survivor and that's heroic and inspiring despite her character being none of those things. Something that really did Stick out to me is that because of something that Danadio said in defense of Batman number 50, where he said, Yes, we're not doing the wedding because weddings age characters or they're the end game goal, which is not surprising. Danadio has said the thing multiple times before. Some of the reactions I've seen is using these comments in order to explain a way that Tom King didn't mess up and he's still a great writer, is so that he's hampered by Danadio's craziness and shittiness. One comment that I saw said this, Oh, Tom King, I'm so sorry you have this thing for your boss. Like usual, people are just blaming Dan Adil for all this stuff. And yes, he has a particular set of philosophies and ideas about how heroes should relate to their stories and what should be done what shouldn't be done. One most telling things is that in the Necessary Evil documentary that came out to coincide with Forever Evil way back when, he states that he believes that heroes should suffer. And they should suffer a lot because it makes us root for him and it's more dramatic and dynamic so yeah he's that kind of person but i don't know i think it's just sidestepping the issue of how crap tom king's writing has been of how horrible heroes in crisis sounds if we're just using them to deal as a scapegoat because these are things that tom king has been doing for a long time now and heroes in crisis has all of tom king's hallmarks it's not that suddenly he's being strangle held by Dan to do this thing. No, this is what Tom King is doing and what he's continued to do. I just want some perspective on that. And with that, let's move on to what I read this week, which I said at the start isn't a lot because I don't think that there's much that came out that I am entirely interested in. I think maybe only two or three comics and let's start with the most debated one. Doomsday Clock number six. We're halfway through this series and almost nothing of substantial impact has happened. There's been slight plot beats that feel like they're interesting but they just also feel really dragged out and not really expanded upon which is weird because it's halfway in and so you expect the story to actually have momentum at this point but so many things are up in the air that it just feels like lopsided like if the next six issues are really packed the first six issues are going to stand out and if the next six issues are exactly like this it's just going to have what i fear only a build-up to something else like my main fear right now is that doomsday clock which is the furthest point of the dc timeline where it if it ends and everything else is caught up to it then it could just start an event and i honestly think that's a real possibility because there's so many things that it's not really doing anything but it's just setting up plot threads in itself yeah that's something i think is really gonna happen then you have this really weird disconnect with what its stated intent was where you heard john's describe it as a Superman story and yet Superman has only appeared in the first issue for three pages and then there's preview art for an unspecified future issue that's come out. You just feel very jumbled and that it doesn't know what it wants to be. It feels like a huge mess. Not to say that it is unreadable. I think Gary Frank's art is pretty great and he does the three by three very well. And that John's here and there understands that as well and adds in more where you have the conjunction between panels and future panels and pages as they crisscross, which more did and still does. Just the story isn't there and some of the plot beats just fall flat. I have no idea how this is going to end up, but right now it's just not looking good. Although I have to say I do like mime and marionette. They're cute. Moving on, I think the only other thing I read this week was Venom. And it's worth it to note that Donny Cates, who is writing Venom, is also doing a revamp of Marvel Max. So that's coming back and hopefully it will be able to reach the heights of what Marvel Max was at its peak. Plus, it's nice to know that Marvel Max will be continuing after the platoon really did put it back on the map and give one of the best Punisher and Marvel Comics the last couple of years. So that's nice. But back on Venom... It's still really fun, but I think that the main draw is Ryan Stigman's art because he draws all these really gnarled and twisted vistas so great I just love going through and finding it incredibly lush and somewhat unnerving. Plot right now is pretty much stalled for the mandatory, here's where we explain exactly what the villain is and what the conflict is for twenty pages, and it's interesting and it definitely spits in the face of everything that Bendis did with the cosmic venom stuff so that's a plus. But it does deflate my enthusiasm a little bit because it sidelines Grendel or it doesn't really do anything with Grendel like I had hoped from the first issue. Instead, it makes it just a Thor thing and that just felt like a real letdown. But still, it's not at the level of Immortal Hulk, say, but it's still one of the better, more entertaining things that Marvel is putting out right now, at least in that slight horror niche. And that is definitely worth its own merit. Other than that, I think that's... Pretty much everything I read this week. I know Action Comics number 1001 came out. But fuck if I'm reading any more of Bendis Superman. Man of Steel was a mixed bag at best. And Superman number one was complete shit. So hell no. I am not even reading this just to see what the hell the deal is about. So hopefully the next couple weeks will be much more interesting with what comes out. Because at this point I've actually dropped a lot of things. I don't know. It'd be nice for there to be some shakeups or something that surprises me. Anyway, let's move on to listener questions. We have one today from the ever-amazing Medea. And their question is, hopes about a Legion of Superheroes or JSA revival? And that's pretty interesting because as we've seen through Doomsday Clock, we're definitely getting all of that hints about the Legion and for JSA Plus you have things like Electric Warriors coming out which I mentioned last week where you have them filling in the gaps between the Commandy Great Disaster and the Legion era. So honestly, I think that we're going to see anything a little more delible. We're going to see it, hopefully, in Electric Warriors because it's going into all of how Earth goes back and becomes a political power in space again. That definitely has a lot of potential in seeding the grounds for the Legion and for their respective planets and all that great immigration type stuff. Who knows? Like I said, Doomsday Clock is all up in the air. It's all very messy and unfocused. So there's no real way to understand what the hell is going on with the Legion in regards to that. But I will say that if I had any hopes for a revival, a reboot, I would do it like this. I would just make it the monster squad but with superpowered teenagers. Just them being kids, make it a real sort of club, very low on superheroics. Just them being kind of nerdy little tweens. And then have them come into conflict, an actual conflict that puts their Superhero geekiness to the test, something like that. I don't know that. I think that'd be pretty fun. It's never been my forte with the Legion, the more dramatic stuff. But fingers crossed that whoever does it does it well. For the JSA, I maintain my strict belief that Johnny Thunder's genie was Doctor Manhattan all along, and I'm gonna go a step further and say that all the JSA are Watchmen characters in disguise or reincarnated. All right, sounds crazy, but watch out—it's gonna turn out to be true. To be serious, I still think that. Earth 2 was probably the best way you could have done it. I reread it recently, at least the Robinson run, and it holds up. And it's such a shame that that great revival slash reboot is lost to time. It's lost to mediocrity. is lost to trash. So I don't know what I would hope for a J.C. reboot other than it to not be given to someone who's boring. But I don't know how it can interest me other than it just being more of the same. Because then you, you know you're just going to get the necessary issues of oh hey they're back legacy's back and that's about it that's the only thing that they're definitely gonna do and definitely put the work into just feels like you're just gonna start retreading a lot of stuff we've seen before because they're gonna be brand new because they're gonna be back we've seen the jsa be back story since the fucking silver age it just feels very unnecessary it's gonna be nice to see them back but i don't really have hopes for a jsa revival if that seems pessimistic, then I'm sorry, but honestly, I would just reset the clock on Earth too. but that's never going to happen. Like with Legion, I just hope that whoever does it, does it well and it not complete shit. But I'm not overly excited for the prospect of these two being back because I don't see just what fresh take they can put on it that will make it worthwhile or a lot more engaging than what we could have been having that they then squandered. Thank you for that question, Medea. I hope I was able to answer to your satisfaction. As always, thanks to everybody who sends in questions, who sends in feedback, who sends in comments. I'm eternally grateful for that and it just means a lot. If you have your own question or topic or something that you want to hear discuss on the show, please tweet at me at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. With a special shout out to the artist who did the cover arts. still in love with it, at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. Thank you for listening and... I'll see you around next week.